Hey everyone, it's Scotty here from the One Jump Podcast, and today we're going to tie our shoes and round up the clones, because today I'm going to lead a discussion on the 2019 movie Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit is a movie directed, written, and starring Taika Waititi that takes place during the later months of World War II about a little boy named Jojo who is a fanatic, but finds out that his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their house and he has to confront what is wrong with the world and it's about a movie that goes on war to hate. Now it's actually a comedy which obviously a World War II comedy does not sound amazing by its premise but once you adjust to this movie then your thoughts are destined to change but I will talk about my thoughts on this movie a little bit later. First, we're going to bring up a negative review from David Sims from The Atlantic, who writes, Waititi is trying to strike an impossible balance here, and while he wins a few battles, he ends up losing the war. Now, I believe what David is trying to get at here is that the movie obviously touches on touchy subjects, and that's where the impossible balance comes from, and I think he's saying he does the best he can, but in David's opinion, the movie falls short. So when when a battle lose the war, he go, he's going like that mentality. And our positive review comes from Adam Graham, who writes for the Detroit News. Jojo Rabbit is a smart, accessible, inclusive film that opens doors at a time when many are slamming them shut. It's a celebration of the gift of life that's inviting you to dance with it. So dance with it. A minus. This is a review that I really like. I think it perfectly encapsulates the message of the movie and the person writing this understands the message. We all need to be happy and lift each other up. And the critic consensus from Rotten Tomatoes reads, Jojo Rabbit's blend of irreverent humor and serious ideas definitely will not be to everyone's taste. But either way, this anti-hate satire is audacious to a fault and it sits at a 79% critic rating with a 96% audience rating. Now, Let's talk about the story I had to watch this movie. So, at first, Jojo Rabbit was a limited release, only opening up in two cities, or very few cities. But then, it was coming to my local area, but an hour away. It it was in Boston, two theaters, and I live over an hour away from there. So, I I thought I wouldn't be able to see this movie, at least for a while, or just not until Blu-ray, at least, or I can rent it online. But then I checked a theater about half an hour away from me that is relatively large. It's not the one that I go to all the time, but it's a very nice theater, and it had shows. So I was like, cool. So I drove the half hour, which is new to me when it comes to seeing a movie, and I just, I, I loved this movie. Uh, I believe it was worth the 30-minute drive. Um, they, we had some, not technical difficulties, but we had to wait. We were running late on the way to see the movie by uh, just a few minutes. And when we got there, there were these two older people trying to buy tickets for some movie who t- took, I'd say, upwards of five minutes. And God only knows how long they were there before we walked in. So it was like, okay, let's just hurry it up. And then we walked... We walked in, and just as we sat down, trailer started. I have my thoughts on trailers before movies. Like, there are only a few for this one, and that's not bad. Like, 
there's some people I've heard who have seen 30 plus minutes of trailers going into a movie, and that's simply unacceptable. If you're paying a theater such heavy money in order to watch us watch a movie on a big screen, then you deserve the best possible experience. And if you're adding another 30 minutes onto that experience that you're not accounting for, that's pretty messed up, especially if it's just trailers for other movies, where most of them you're probably not going to want to see. For me personally, when I saw this, the only movie I wanted to see for the trailers was A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Everything else to me just looked either not my style or simply bad. Because um, they're all relatively niche movies, as of course this is also a niche movie being produced by Fox Searchlight, which is Fox Entertainment, which is owned by Disney, thus tying this back into Disney. Um, but disregard that, just... Getting to the movie was quite an experience, and I'm just going to leave it at that for now. Now, when the movie first begins, and you start hearing the sense of humor... Now, I had watched the trailer many times going into this. I had seen the clips they had released online, but I, I didn't look at any spoilers. I knew that the sense of humor was going to be touchy, and I kind of had already accepted that. So when I walked in, it was still very weird at first hearing what they were talking about. In my head, I was like, am I allowed to laugh at this? But then as the movie continues, it kind of moves away from still sense of humor. And the jokes, you, it does make you feel you can laugh at. And it does a very good job at making you feel like you can laugh at the movie. Even though, of course, it is a World War II satire from the perspective of a little, of a little boy who is a fanatic living in Germany, whose best friend is an imaginary Hitler. If, if you do not know, that is the point of, not the point of the movie, but that is a big plot point. The little boy named Jojo has an imaginary friend who is an imaginary version of Hitler. And I thought this was very interesting. Now, at first I was just like, okay, 10-year-old kid has a, has a Hitler friend... But then the movie starts going into Jojo's mind. The, the words he says and what people say about his his life uh, actually made me think this imaginary friend could be almost like a coping mechanism for him. You find out that his sister recently died and his father is supposedly serving in Italy and has lost all contact for the past two years. Uh, lots of kids tease him about this and say he deserted, which I think is probably correct, honestly. And the imaginary friend, all that together is a coping mechanism. And of course, Jojo's mother has opposite views to him as what's going on, as she believes the war is tearing apart the country, and obviously he is on the complete opposite side of that spectrum. And you understand why the mother does not like it, uh, just through her actions, everything, just she seems like a very passive person who does not like war and is trying to do her best to help. As there's a scene in the movie later where Jojo sees her placing stickers that say Free Germany, I believe, in the translation. And of course, she hides a girl in their house. 16 year old, I believe, she's around there. Elsa Kaur, played by Thomas and Mackenzie. She, she did great in the movie. I honestly was expecting a little more of the character. In screen time, not in development. I thought she was great in all those regards. But 
I thought she'd be in the movie a little more. I think she's not discovered until maybe about half an hour in, and the movie's only an hour and 48 minutes long. So, that's a thing. But it's not a huge deal, as she's not the main character of the movie. It's not like in Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, which I have not seen yet, but I just heard that Maleficent just disappears for huge chunks of the movie, which I just find to be very absurd and weird. Now, this movie is probably one of, if not my favorite movie of 2019. But I can't think off the top of my head just what makes it so great. Now, I'm somebody... I don't go out of my way very often to see small, niche movies like this. I'm somebody who goes and sees the blockbusters, Disney movies, animation. Uh, I'm not going to go see a World War II comedy every day. Now, obviously those movies are pretty rare, so no one's going to go see one every day, but I think you understand the point that I'm trying to get across by saying this. The cast in this movie is absolutely wonderful. Roman Griffin Davis is adorable and just great in every single way in this movie. As a, I believe he was 10 or 11 when they shot the movie, and it being his first ever acting credit, I honestly could not have asked for a better lead character. And then Thompson McKenzie as Elsa, Taika Waititi as the imaginary Hitler, Rebel Wilson, I don't know her name in the movie if I'm being honest, she wasn't in it a ton, and I think her name's only said once or twice. Uh, Stephen Merchant as uh, the agent for World War Alfie Allen was Freddie Finkel, who was another person who wasn't really in it that much, but I thought he was pretty funny. Archie Yates played Yorkie, Jojo's best friend, and this child is absolutely adorable. And he's only in the movie at the beginning, in the end. I think he might make a few appearances in the middle, I'm not sure. Just every time this boy appears on screen, everyone's face in my audience lit up, and every joke he said completely landed in my theater. He was, without a doubt, one of the cutest character in the movie. And I saw tons just of videos of Archie Yates doing some press for the movie, and he seems honestly like not that much different from his personality in the movie than compared to real life, which is great, because there's two forms of great, I think, when it comes to acting. There's one where the person, you're like, yeah, this is probably how the person would act in real life. The other one where they just sink so deeply into the role where you don't even know it might be a certain actor. Archie Yates definitely falls into the former, and I believe this is his first acting credit as well. So I'm not 100% sure about that, though. Definitely going to have to fact check. But he did amazing for what he was given. Then Sam Rockwell as the captain of the youth program, wherever they live. I don't think it's really ever specified where all these characters live. But uh, he was a very high up captain, it seemed. But then the incident happened. You don't know what the incident is, but he refers to it just as an incident. And now he's stuck training children and eventually gets demoted even further after what Jojo does at the beginning of the movie. And then Scarlett Johansson plays Jojo's mother. She was absolutely great in the movie. Um, I'm not talking about spoiler-free here because I think people have picked up on that. But when she died, I didn't see that coming from a mile away. That completely threw me in the theater. And it was super depressing. I was on... The, I almost cried. I cry pretty easily. Er, I cry somewhat easily at movies. And I had 
I have never cried during a comedy movie before, and this is a comedy movie, so if this is the first time I even came close to crying at a comedy movie, this was it, so that clearly means they are doing something right, because one of my philosophies for movies is, if the movie can make you cry, it's doing something right. Something else that I want to talk, touch on is the point of the movie. Now, obviously, if you just watch the trailer, you think that you're just going to watch a World War II comedy that doesn't really give a crap about what is happening today, but that's not the point of the movie at all. This movie is an anti-hate film that is really going to war on the premise of hate and how stupid and absurd it gets. I think that's why lots of the characters are portrayed as so dumb in the movie that aren't like supposed to be viewed as uh, good guys to us. They're all portrayed as dumb because the philosophy they have is dumb. Hating Jewish people for the for the Nazis, just they hate them for no reason, really. And just it reflects that in their actions, just how stupid and absurd that hate really is. In that it just can't continue to operate the way that it does, or else we are going to have something like World War II happen again on such a massive scale and possibly even bigger on a nuclear level. That's all I'm going to talk about relating to politics, just the message of this movie is anti-hate, pro-love, anti-war, everything like that. The things that most people stand for are actually the message and the motives that this movie is trying to preach to you. I touched upon the characters already. They were great. Uh, every single one of them just had something to do. I feel I feel like they didn't have just characters who were characters. And they had a very great cast to work with. So the fact that not a single one of them got wasted and they all did something good in the movie, or at least just something to make you laugh, was very good. Uh, all the characters, thumbs up. I also want to talk about the ending and actually just how emotional it gets. So, uh, I briefly touched upon finding out that JoJo's mother, Rosie, is, died. And the build-up to that is crazy. So it starts when Stephen Merchant's character, I believe it's Captain Deertz, he's the, he's like the leading Gestapo agent in the area. Uh, he comes and investigates JoJo's house. I don't really remember what he's there for, but he he's there, and then he's there, and he has four guys with him, and then Captain Klinsendorf and Finkel just come at a very good timing, I'll talk about that later, because Captain Klinsendorf actually ends up doing something kind of heroic for, like, a captain in World War II Germany. Uh, they search the house, uh... They clearly, I think, know that something is up. They don't think directly know about Elsa yet, but they probably have some idea of her existence and that she could be in the Betzler house. So what happens is she actually comes out of the, of the wall she's hiding in so she doesn't get caught. What you think? Stupid. She's getting herself caught. But she poses to be Jojo's older sister, who looked relatively similar similar to her. And then, someone suggests to get her papers, make sure she's not lying. And they do. And they ask her for her name. She says it. Then her birthday. 
Now, her birthday is supposed to be May 1st, whatever year. Or May 7th, I'm not sure which one it is. But it's either Elsa says May 1st when it's May 7th, or she says May 7th when it's May 1st. And Captain Klensendorf, who is holding the papers, actually covers for her. She says it wrong, but he doesn't point it out to Captain Deertz or anyone. He says he just says good and gives her the papers back. Now, is this him being dumb? Or is this him covering because he knows that she is a Jewish girl hiding in this house? I'm going to say he's covering for them. Because later in the movie, in another pretty emotional scene, after the aftermath of the battle has happened, because there's a battle, uh, the Americans come and take over the city. Uh, Captain Klensendorf sees Jojo, and he tells him how great of a woman his mother was, and how he says he's sorry for her death. But then, he starts like swearing at Jojo and saying these nasty things to him. So then the soldiers... They come and shoot Captain Klensendorf, so Jojo runs. So this is him saving Jojo's life, and that is definitely intended, because he didn't want Jojo to get killed either. So he sacrifices his own life, and I think that's what they're kind of alluding to when he covered for Elsa. He was saying, okay, this girl is clearly not the sister, but... Like, he see, he doesn't, he's not as evil as he's made out to be from the beginning of the movie and just who he is. He covers for Elsa, he saves Jojo's life and sacrifices his own in the process. Uh, he's up, he says how great of a woman his mother was when he, when he is very well aware of the fact that she was completely against everything that he was supposed to uphold. So that's that's my thoughts on that particular moment, but that that so that happens, and Elsa knows she messed up, and she, I think she puts together that Captain Klensendorf was covering for her, and she says they'll be back, they're coming for me, but they don't come back and they don't come for Elsa. What happens next is Rosie gets killed. Um, Jojo is out later in the day. I think it's supposed to be the same day. And he's just kind of wandering aimlessly. Then he, then he bumps into the town square where uh, a hanging has happened. And he bumps into his mother. Now one of the themes in the movie leading up to this part was that Jojo can't tie his shoes. And then he sees that her shoes are untied and tries to tie them for her. And that was the part I think that almost sent me into tears. When just all of that scene was so beautifully well done because you never really see Rosie other than her her feet and so but you just you know it's her who else would it be who else does Jojo care about that's still with him and then he goes back and just every every part of this scene is just so greatly well done by everyone. Jojo goes back to his house and he lightly stabs Elsa with the knife that she stole from him earlier in the movie. And then she doesn't seem bothered by it because I think she knows what happened or she put it together off of what happened just as he came in, the tears he had. And then he just breaks down and 
Roman Griffin Davis in this movie is so, so, so phenomenal. It's his first ever acting credit, like I previously mentioned. And just the way he acts in this movie, the way he does everything. You can believe everything about this character. And he becomes sympathetic just in his, the way he changes his viewpoint on everything. And the way he realizes that he is wrong. Because he doesn't know what's right and wrong. When Hitler rose to power was just before he was born. So he sees he has seen no other world. And he does not understand what is really going on. Because later in the movie, when Jojo sees Yorkie later in the movie, he says... Oh, yeah. Apparently he was doing a lot of nasty stuff behind our backs. Really makes you think twice about the guy. And of course, I think that's when Jojo really starts to get it. That he was not a good man. Truly one of the worst in history. The worst, most definitely. And then, obviously, he kicks his imaginary friend out of the house. Tells him to leave. Never come back. And just... It's Jojo removing that point of his life away from him. He's completely distancing himself. And I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up just completely moving away from Germany. Because he has nobody to take care of him. But back to Roman Griffin Davis. I would love to see this kid get a Best Actor nomination at the Oscars this year. I thought I heard something that's Fox Searchlight was trying, really trying to get him one, but I don't know how true that was, and at the same time, he, I don't know if he would even make it in, because of Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, and just, you know, all those movies that have come out this year, Robert Pattinson for The Lighthouse, uh, Adam Driver for Marriage Story, just everything like that. I don't know if he could even get in, but for a first-time actor to be able to beat out one of the greats like them, if he were to be able to do that, would, I think, be awesome. Especially for a 12-year-old. It's not just, like, someone who's acting for the first time. He is 12 years old and is one of the best, if not the best, child actor who I've ever seen in a movie before. No exaggeration in the slightest on that front. I don't really know what else to talk about for this movie. It was just so incredibly great. Once I adjusted to the sense of humor the movie had, I just... I, I couldn't stop being engaged. It's just... It was so incredibly amazing. This is without a doubt my favorite movie of 2019. It beats out Toy Story 4. It beats out Avengers Endgame. Everything. It, it triumphs over all of that. It's my favorite movie of the year. And I actually wrote a review on this movie for Letterboxd. If you don't know what Letterboxd is, it's an app where you can write small reviews for movies that anyone can see. And I wrote one for Jojo Rabbit. So I gave it five stars and wrote, without a doubt, one of the greatest movies ever made, in my opinion. It's a movie that'll make you laugh and then make you cry. But, and we all know it's a comedy, but that's not the point of this film. The point is to point out how absurd and stupid hate really is. With a cast as wonderful, featuring newcomer Rowan Griffin Davis giving an Oscar-worthy performance, Thomas and Mackenzie, Taiga Watiti, who also wrote and directed the film, Rebel Wilson, Alfie Allen, Stephen Merchant, the adorable Archie Yates, as well as Sam Rockwell and Scarlett Johansson, you simply cannot go wrong with this movie once you adjust to the humor that it's portraying.
that's my review on the movie. Again, uh, Letterboxd is the app. It's also a website, and you can see my profile. I have my favorite movies listed. I've only done the review for that, but you can also see the 150 films that I have as marked. But I think I'm going to wrap it up on Jojo Rabbit. This movie, again, to me, is just phenomenal in every single way. It has a 79% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And I think it started out like a 56 uh, and then climbed. It was so divisive among critics at first, even though it won People's Choice at Toronto International Film Festival. It was so controversial. It started at 56 and climbed to a 79 now, I believe that the 96% is more accurate to the quality of the movie, as I think lots of people wrote the review as in World War II bad, movie bad, if you understand that mentality. I think that's how lots of people wrote their reviews, which I can understand, but watch the movie for what it is, not for where it is, if that makes any sense. So I think the critic rating should be higher. I think it should almost match the audience rating, but... That's really all I'm going to talk about for that. So let's go to the big list. Uh, obviously, I've done not much. I've done The Mandalorian Episode 1 and Episode 2 for my primary Episode 1. And then The Imagineering Story for my secondary for Episode 1 was The Imagineering Story, a TV series on Disney+. Plus. I will be putting Jojo Rabbit above The Mandalorian. I love The Mandalorian, especially after episode 3, which is actually our secondary for today. But, Jojo Rabbit just... I am absolutely in love with this movie. This is the number one on the list right now. Of course, not heavy competition, considering... Well, of course, Mandalorian is great. But, it's also... It's a one of two things on the list. Then, our secondary for today is The Mandalorian Episode 3. And, this episode of The Mandalorian, before I read my reviews, before I talk about anything, this is the best episode of the show, without a doubt. Episode 1 was great, episode 2 was just as great. Both of those, like 9.8 out of 10s. This is the 10. This is the perfect episode of a television series. I don't know if I've ever seen better than this, other than maybe like the Stranger Thing finale. Also, apologies if for my voice right now. It's a little stuffy. It's just fall. I'm a little cold. But The Mandalorian Episode 3 of The Sin, our positive review comes from Ricky Church from Flickering Myth, who writes, The Sin just knocked The Mandalorian out of the parks on all counts. And of course, off what I just said, that is exactly what I think, and no negative review for this, because it's sitting at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes as a critic rating. And the critic consensus is, Director Deborah Chow brings the action in the sin, an effective and exciting installment that pushes deeper into the Mandalorian story. It's perfect, that's the perfect synopsis, or not synopsis, critic consensus, that perfectly sums up a beautiful and phenomenal episode from the Mandalorian. Now, there were some very great Easter eggs and just moments in this episode. For example, know that everyone has seen it now on the internet. What the Mandalorian receives his best scar in, whenever he gets his best scar, what it is in is the ice cream maker that Wilro Hood was carrying as he was escaping Cloud City from the Empire Strikes Back. Now, if you don't know who Wilro Hood is, 
That's respectable. But if you do, you know how great this was. Now, Wilbur Hood, he's a nobody. He's just an extra in the... A random extra in the background of the Empire Strikes Back, who during the evacuation of Cloud City is seen just running with an ice cream maker. And recently Twitter added an emoji for all of the major characters in Star Wars prequel, original, and sequel, as well as the Mandalorian. And they even did one for Wilro Hood. Just, that's awesome. I just, I loved that. Wilro Hood is the best Star Wars extra of all time. Imagine if we get a Disney Plus series about him one day. How beautiful would that be? I would not be opposed. I would not be opposed to one. But now I don't think that's going to happen. Obviously, Wilbur Hood background in ESB. And also, rumors are now surfacing that Dr. Afra is going to get her own Disney Plus show. But Dr. Afra and a Disney Plus show to me is awesome. Now, if you don't know who Dr. Afra is, she's a Star Wars archaeologist who has her own comic series, which is great if you have the time or the money to do it or to buy it, do that. It's an amazing comic series. She was introduced somewhere else. I'm blanking on where it is. Also a great series. But if they were to give her a Disney Plus show, that would be awesome. I don't know who they could get to play her, but it would be amazing nonetheless. I'm going to wrap it up now. Mandalorian Episode 3 was great, so I will be putting it on the big list. So, our number one for the secondary is... No, one. So, Jojo Rabbit is at the top for the primary list. The Mandalorian episodes one and two sit at number two on that list. And then we have our secondary list where I'm going to put the Mandalorian episode three on the top. And then the Imagineering story will go on the bottom of this... Which kind of stinks. Like, I, of course, I loved the Mandalorian episode one and two, and I loved the Imagineering story. Just what I talked about this week, in my opinion, was just better than both of those: Jojo Rabbit and episode three of the Mandalorian. Wait, I'm not gonna wrap up yet. No, we have to discuss the ending of episode three. So when the Mandalorian, when he enters the facility, to the end of the episode, is just nonstop beauty. It pulls so many Western tropes, but I don't care. This is amazing. All of episode, when the Mandalorians came out of hiding, I was super shocked. I definitely did not see that one coming. Just due to how they treated him at the beginning of the episode, or towards the middle, when he walks into like their sewer system, or wherever they are, with the Wilworhood ice cream maker, full of Beskar, he definitely garners some attention, and he gets a little bullied by someone from the Vizsla family, actually, the Vizsla clan, which is a very just high up there clan in the Mandalorian, or just Mandalore. That was cool. And then they come and help, and as he flies off the Mandalorian, the Vizsla, I'm blanking on his first name, he flies alongside the Mandalorian and gives him a salute, just saying, I respect you, just to forget about what happened to them earlier. Which I think that was pretty cool, because he has a jetpack. Mandalorian does not have a jetpack. So he says, I gotta get myself one of those, which I loved, because that's what I was thinking, actually. The entire time that I was watching episode one, I said, he doesn't have a jetpack yet. And I just thought that was like a 
staple of Mandalorians. This was a great episode of The Mandalorian. Truly phenomenal. Jojo Rabbit as well. One of my favorite movies of all time. Definitely my favorite of 2019. So, with that, thank you everybody for listening to this episode if you made it this far. I've been Scotty from the One Jump Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, at One Jump Pod. You can follow us on Twitter right there as well. That's where I post what I'm going to be reviewing the next week. So if you want to know what I'm doing, if you want to know what I'm doing in the weeks following, because I already have all of 2019 planned, so if you want to watch all of those be revealed slowly on Instagram and Twitter, then go follow me, please. And I will see you all next week. Goodbye.